I want to start this morning uh, by taking you back to a date in 2004, January 11th, 2004. Uh, probably seems like a random date, but there's an event that happened on that day that some of you may remember. If you would have got a glimpse into the Kaufman household at about 7.30 uh, in, at p.m., you would have seen an eighth grader kneeling down over his couch, praying very fervently. Why? Because his beloved Philadelphia Eagles were facing fourth down and 26 yards to go. And the season was on the line, and the Green Bay Packers seemed to have the game within their grasp, and it seemed inevitable that the Eagles would again have a disappointing playoff exit. And so eighth grade Kyle did the only thing he knew to do in that moment and kneel down and pray that maybe, just maybe, the Eagles might pull it off because that's what was most important to me in that moment. Now, if you are an Eagles fan, you know the ending. Uh, they did convert, they did win, and they went on to lose yet again in the NFC Championship. I don't plan to make the case this morning that my prayers changed the outcome of that game or that prayers really matter when it comes to football because even if they do, there are far more important things for us to pray for. Uh, but as I've, as I've thought about what I might preach on, if I had to step in and preach while Keith is out, one thing has consistently come to mind for me, uh, which is prayer. We, we've talked a lot about scripture recently and the importance of reading scripture and what God is communicating to us as we open up his word. And we might think about it, if reading scripture is us hearing God's voice, then prayer is us having his ear. David Mathis says, few things are worthy of your attention and investment as the privilege and power of prayer. Few things are as worthy of your attention and investment as the privilege and power of prayer. And yet few things are more difficult than praying sometimes, or even many times. Anyone who's tried to pray knows that. I might be praying over something big that's coming up in my day or my week one moment, and the next moment I'm thinking about who has the best burgers in Lancaster County. Why, why is that? Well, it, it's not just because our minds roam and maybe find it hard to focus on one subject, but I would also say that it's because we have an enemy in Satan who desperately wants to keep us from enjoying the benefits of prayer. I, I would say Satan doesn't mind if we talk about prayer. He doesn't mind if we talk about prayer for the next 40 minutes. He doesn't mind if we say that we believe in the power of prayer so long as he can keep us from actually praying. Because I, I think he knows that our enjoyment and satisfaction in God alone is directly linked to our praying. And so I, I do want to make the case this morning that our enjoyment of God and of who he is and of his benefits is connected, is directly impacted by our praying with the big idea for this morning simply being, pray like your joy depends on it. Pray like your joy depends on it. To make this case, we're going to look at uh, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. 
And while I'll read the whole uh, passage to start, we're really just going to focus in on verse 9 for this morning. We, we live in a day and an age where it's really easy for us to learn from experts in almost anything. You can go onto YouTube and immediately find an expert to teach you in some area that you want to learn on. And we've seen the rise of things like Masterclass and others, where we can learn how to be a great actor from Samuel Jackson, or learn how to be a great cook from Gordon Ramsay, or learn how to dribble and shoot from Steph Curry. And, and what we have in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, is a Masterclass on prayer from Jesus. And before we read it, we should stop and again be struck by the wonder that this is God himself teaching us to pray to God. And, and we should again be struck by how short and simple it is, and yet how it's full of ocean depths of wisdom and guidance and help for us as we pray. So let's read Matthew 6, 9 through 13, and then pray as we start out this morning. Pray then like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we come before you this morning, reading what are familiar words and yet pleading for your spirit to open our eyes in fresh ways to both see these words, understand them, be transformed by them, and apply them. God, I pray that you would take my words, my feeble words, and use them to honor, glorify yourself and to bring us joy and transformation as we walk out of here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I, I believe much of our failure to pray, or to say much of my failure to pray, stems from us not really fully believing one of the things in the first line that we read. Jesus says, our Father in heaven. This is, we might say, the ground of all our prayers. What drives us, what motivates us over and over again to go before God in prayer. It's a firm grounding for us, but I think we need to look at it again and see just how incredible it is. We pray because we have a powerful and lavish Father. Pray because we have a powerful and lavish Father. Let's, let's take just the, the second part of that first verse first and look at it. He says, we pray to our Father in heaven. What, what do we mean when we say God is in heaven? Are we talking about the place that he's in? As if I would tell you my dad is currently in California this morning, that's the place he's at? No, that's not what we mean because Solomon prays in 1 Kings 8, God, your name, you can't be contained in a temple, yet alone the highest heavens. You're everywhere. And so what, what do we mean when we say God is in heaven? We're, we're talking about his position, 
his power, his authority, his rule, his might to do whatever he wants. Psalm 115.3 and 2 Chronicles, or 2 Chronicles 26 are helpful for us to see this. First, Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. The connection, his position, and he does all that he pleases. Or 2 Chronicles 26. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. See, when the Bible talks about God being in heaven, a heavenly father, it's talking about his position, his place, his right to do whatever he wants. We, we even talk in this way sometimes ourselves with other people. When we talk about someone who has friends in high places, right? We don't mean that they're sitting up high somewhere. We mean that they've got a certain position with authority and influence and power to accomplish things. And because of someone's connection to them, they benefit from it. I, I can remember as a sixth grader, when my cousin got his first job at Annie Ann's. And I remember the wonder and awe I felt when I found out that because he worked at Annie Ann's, it meant at the end of the day, he could take all the leftover soft pretzels home. And so anytime I now went to his house, it meant free soft pretzels. I've got a friend in a high place, right? I've made it as a sixth grader, free soft pretzels. How much more wonder and awe should we have that as a Christian, we might say, we've got a friend in the highest place. with all power, all authority, all might can do whatever he wants. I love, John Piper puts it so memorably, I think, when he says, God can do more in five seconds than you can do in five years. And I think we can up the ante on that and say, God can do more in one second than you or I can do in a lifetime. We don't pray, I don't pray more often because I don't really fully believe that every moment of my life. Or we don't believe the second part of that first verse. Our Father. One of the shocking things about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's, Matthew 5 through 7, at, uh, chapters that we often associate with the cost of discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, to deny ourselves, what, the upside-down kingdom, one of the shocking things is that in these three chapters, Jesus talks about God as Father 16 times, over and over and over again. Your Father in heaven, your Father in heaven. So what do we mean when we say God is our Father? It's, it's probably helpful to look within the Sermon on the Mount to see what are some things we mean by that. So we could look at Matthew 6:26, where Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God cares about the smallest details of this world, about what birds have to eat day in and day out, and he's intricately involved in that. And so we can learn he, he's not a distant, disinterested Father. He's a involved, caring, wants to know, wants to help in all aspects of our li life, Father. And then we could also look at Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I love this passage. Jesus is again talking about prayer. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love the image of those verses. Because right now, based on my stage of life, I get a picture in my mind. I I imagine what is a frequent thing happening in our house. Every morning, my son comes down from breakfast and asks for a granola granola bar. He says, Daddy, can I have a Nola bar? Nola bar. G's and R's are hard to pronounce, so it's Nola bar. And, And might I ever respond to him and say, no. We're going to have rat snake for breakfast this morning. Here you go. Enjoy. Oh, you don't like that? Good news. We have rocks in our pantry. You can munch on that. It's just, it's absurd. And God's point is, do you really think that you're a better parent than me? Do you really think that one day when you have kids or how you treat kids, that that you're a better parent than me? No. No. But some of us live almost as if that's true. As if God's up there and just kind of has his arms crossed. And, and we, he, he really doesn't want to give us good things. Like we've got to really bend his arm back. We've got to really try hard. He, he doesn't really care for us. God's saying, no, I'm incredibly generous. I love to give you good gifts. Ask, seek, knock. I'm far more generous than you can even grasp. We have an incredibly powerful and incredibly lavish father. Now, before I move on, I want to point out two things with this. The first being, it's only by faith in the gospel that we can approach God as our Father who is in heaven. Without the gospel, we might approach him in one of those ways, but we won't bring him together. We might approach God as the one who's in heaven, holy, all-powerful, awesome, can do whatever he pleases, But without the knowledge that he gave up his son to die in our place, we'll come thinking we've got to earn his attention and maybe even use our prayers as a way to merit his attention. We'll come cowering, thinking he's not going to do anything for us. He doesn't really, he's great, but he doesn't really care about us. Or on the flip side, we might come to him as our father, saying he's loving, but more loving like a teddy bear than like the holy, all-powerful, awesome ruler of heaven and earth. It's only by faith in the gospel that we've got the type of reverence and boldness to say the all-powerful king of the universe is my father. Outside the gospel, we, we don't get that type of access and that type of confidence and that type of boldness. And, and here's the second thing. If, you're, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you hear me talk about God being our father, it's likely that you, like me, probably internally nod your head and say, yeah, yes, this is true. I've heard this. I know this. I believe this. But, but I want to press just a little bit here for a second and point out there is a difference for us always between head knowledge and experiential knowledge. There's a difference between facts and experience. It, if I tell you my father is Galen Roy Kaufman, he's got dark brown hair, glasses, loves to drive truck. Those things matter very little. They're just facts. 
And having a father is not about knowing facts. It's about knowing and enjoying a person. And perhaps one of the reasons that we internally nod our heads when we talk about God being our father, yes, I know this, this is true, and yet why it makes so little difference sometimes in our day-to-day lives, makes so little impact on our lives and how we live and think and feel, is because it's just become a fact that I acknowledge rather than an invitation to experience and enjoy a person, the greatest person in the universe. As Christians, we should never want just mere head knowledge. We should never want just mere facts. We should want experiential knowledge. And our prayer reveals probably how big of a deal we actually make of God being our father. But not only that, it's also the greatest means for us to grow in enjoyment of having God as our father. We want to take head knowledge and make it experiential enjoyment. Prayer is one of the keys to unlock that channel. Our father who art in heaven. This is a great ground motivation driver for us to pray. And if this gives us a firm, excuse me, grounding for our prayers, then the next line I think gives us a great goal for our prayers. Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To which we've got to stop and ask, I think, a couple questions. Number one, what does it mean for someone's name to be hallowed? We don't use that language very much anymore. It's got a connection, that word, to the idea of sanctifier, sanctification, which we often associate as moving from sin to holiness. We think about God, okay, he's not sinful, so what does it mean for his name to be hallowed, holy? It means for his name to be set apart, to be known as great. To which we should then ask, okay, what makes someone's name become hallowed? What sets someone's name apart as great that we might know it? Well, their deeds and their actions and their accomplishments. If I say the name Abraham Lincoln, you immediately know who that is and you immediately have thoughts of what he did. Why? Because many of us think he was one of the greatest presidents in our history because of all that he accomplished while he was a president. But if I say the name William Croom, I had to check on Planning Center just to make sure there was no William Crooms in Keystone. Uh, If you're a first time visitor, welcome, glad you're here. Sorry we don't know you. But if I say that name, you probably, you don't think anything. But he lived at the same time that Abraham Lincoln lived. In fact, he was his first cousin. But his deeds and accomplishments don't raise his name up that we would honor it and hallow it. But we should also stop and realize, okay, someone's name can be set apart for bad reasons. You also likely know the name John Wilkes Booth. Why? Because he shot Abraham Lincoln. And so I got to say, okay, well, what? What sets God's name apart as great? What what deeds are it that make his name great? And I think it's especially his acts in creation, sustaining creation, his acts of judgment against evil and sin, but ultimately his acts of mercy and grace in saving and sustaining and helping undeserving people. When we talk, when the Bible talks about God's name being made great, it most often associates that with God being gracious to undeserving people. And so that's what I want to highlight here. And and we'll look at just two passages to point this out. 
in Isaiah 29, 23, Isaiah tells that when God restores the Israelites from exile and blesses them, they will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And Mary, in her song of praise, after she finds out that God or an angel shows up and says that you're going to have the Messiah, she responds and says, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Do you see the connection there? God does great things for undeserving people to help them, to deliver them, and as a result, his name is made great. And so we might see a goal for our prayers is that we should pray or we pray to see and to show how great our God is. Pray to see and to show how great our God is. In some ways, we might compare ourselves to taste testers. I remember as a young child being a taste tester for whatever dessert my mom was currently making. And I especially have memories of around Christmas when she would do like the giant Christmas cookie bake. And my dad and I would sit there and we just wait eagerly for like, when's that first cookie going to come out of the oven that we can taste it, that, the, the warm one. That, and, and we'd taste it and we'd enjoy it. But ultimately, the role of a taste tester is not just to enjoy something, but to praise the one who made it, right? Because as taste testers, we'd eat the cookie and not just say this is good, but wow, mom, this is the best chocolate chip cookie ever. This is fantastic. How'd you do this? Right? Not just enjoy, but praise the one who gave it. Our goal in prayer, I don't think, should ultimately be to receive things from God. Yes, we should pray in that way. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray to receive that we should, but that our goal should be so that we might praise and worship the one who gave it to us graciously. The, the Bible is bursting with these types of prayers when you start to see it. We pray for help and then God's name gets glorified and hallowed. I put a list on the back of your notes so you could reference this week to be able to just see some of these prayers and draw, how, how does this show up? But I want to just point out one. It's again in Isaiah 37:20. King Hezekiah is praying as the Assyrian army has surrounded Jerusalem and it seems, seems inevitable that they're all going to get destroyed. And, and the height of his prayer, the last line in his prayer is this. So now, O Lord, our God, Save us from his hand, the Assyrian king's hand, that or so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Do you hear it? God, help us. We need help so that your name might be made great and glorified then. And so if our goal in praying is God's glory and his name being made great, what, what difference does that make for us? Does that mean that we no longer pray to receive things from him? would say no, because that's exactly what Hezekiah prays. And that's exactly what Jesus teaches us to pray later on in the Lord's Prayer. But I would say the priority and the purpose of our prayers gets changed. The priority and the purpose of our prayers gets changed when the goal is God's glory. First of all, the priority becomes worshiping and adoring God rather than just praying to get things from him. This is where we might make a connection with all we've been talking about with reading scripture as well. That when we open up the Bible each morning, we might mine it for nuggets, verses, passages, words 
that would talk about how great God is and then we turn those into praise and adoration for God. And not only that, but we just pray over and over again that God would give us a heart to feel how great he is and eyes and a mind to see how great he is. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up every morning immediately feeling worshipful towards God. I don't wake up every morning and have my first thought be, how great is our God? I wake up thinking, why couldn't I get another hour of sleep as I stumble to the coffee maker, hoping that I just have 30 minutes to myself before the day really starts. Again, John Piper puts it better than I could. And he says, I feel like I have to get saved every morning. I wake up and the devil is sitting on my face. <laughs> I love that image. We pray to get the devil off our face so that we might see and feel how great God is every single day. And then the purpose of our prayer changes too. That we don't just pray for help, but we do pray. We pray, God, give us help. Uh, provide for our needs. Give us good gifts. Deliver us from suffering and evil. Save our friends and family. But praying those things ultimately with the goal that God would be glorified when he responds to those prayers. We plead with God for help so that we might praise him for giving us the help. And so anytime that you or I pray and God answers both big and small, it becomes an opportunity to hallow his name. And don't miss this. It also becomes an opportunity for you to disciple other people and how great God is. Like when we pray and we see God answer our prayers, that's an opportunity to tell your kids your friends, your spouses, your coworkers, and anyone else who will listen, look at how great our God is. I think praying with kids and then highlighting when God answers those prayers is a wonderful way to magnify, look at how great our God is. And as you pray long and hard for things, and then you see God answer those prayers and change something in your life, don't, don't just tell people about the change that happened, that's what's easy for us. Tell people about the God who made that change happen. Because if we pray and we get stuff and then we don't praise God, we short circuit the purpose of prayers. We miss out on an opportunity to enjoy and glorify God and have other people enjoy and glorify him. Let's pray with the priority and purpose of God's name being made great. And here's, here's the incredible thing. When we pray in that way, I think we have a guarantee to our prayers. The guarantee being, God always acts for the glory of his name. God always acts for the glory of his name. I don't know about you, but I like guarantees. That's why I like Amazon Prime. Because I can place an order on there, duct tape, Sour Patch Kids, glow sticks, and a Tim Keller book. I don't know what you're ordering, but that's a pretty typical youth pastor order right there. And I can have Amazon tell me when that package is gonna arrive, right? It's, it's literally the last page before I hit pay to check out. This is the day that your package is going to arrive. All right, great. But even the great Amazon Prime fails us sometimes, right? Packages get lost in the mail. They miss a deadline. We think, can't believe it. Let's go back to the day when horses had to deliver our packages. 
be so much better, right? Even Amazon Prime fails us. Even the best guarantees fail us. God's promises never fail us, and God promises that he will always act for the glory of his name. It's the purpose for which he created the, the world, Isaiah 43.7 would tell us. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. It's the purpose for which he forgives sin and saves us. Isaiah 43.25 tells us, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. It's the purpose for which God helps us over and over and over again. Psalm 79.9 would tell us, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. And it's the purpose for which God gave up his own son and for which Jesus came to die. Jesus did not just come to die because he loved us, as true as that is. He came to die to glorify God. John 12, 27 through 28 would say, he prays as the hour of his death is coming on. Father, what should I pray? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. God is going to glorify his name by saving people and then helping those undeserving people make it all the way to heaven. It's a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that he's going to answer all our prayers or answer them how we want or make life easy, but it's a guarantee that he's going to work for his glory and for our good over and over and over again. To which maybe we should stop then and ask a question. Why should I pray then? If God guarantees he's going to glorify his name and he's going to help his people, why should I put any time into praying? If he's sovereign over all of this, why should I pray? Because although God is going to get the glory no matter what, whether or not we get the joy of seeing that glory depends on us praying. Because first of all, we might actually miss out on God helping us and giving us good things if we fail to pray. So it would be part of what that John 7 passage is saying implicitly. Ask, seek, knock, with the idea that if we don't, we might not receive. Or, or James 4.2, which I think is just a shocking passage, says, you do not have because you do not ask. In a staggering mystery, God who is completely sovereign over everything, does all that he wants, at the same time, we end up missing out on receiving good things from him when we fail to pray at times. I would guess for all of us, we could point to some moment in our lives where other people were willing to help us and we were just too stubborn to ask. And so we made things more difficult for us, both because we're humans and because we're Lancaster Countyans and we think we have to do it all on our own, right? And the reality is that there may be times where we fail to receive God's help and his gifts and his goodness and his grace in our lives because we're just too stubborn to ask or we just don't take time to stop and ask. But, but the second thing is that even without prayer, even what we do receive, we don't ultimately enjoy God and give him the glory for it. Without prayer, the good things that we receive, we chalk them up to hard work or maybe just luck or chance. That just happened. And so either I get the glory or no one does. And then we miss out on having the joy of seeing God's name be glorified and honored as he has helped us 
and provided for us. God's name is going to be exalted and glorified no matter what. He would stop being God if he didn't do that. But our joy in seeing him exalted and glorified depends on whether we pray or not. You can maybe compare it to this. Ice cream is going to be made no matter what. Uh, down on the farm, pennies, Lap Valley, Fox Meadows, whatever your favorite creamer is, they're going to make ice cream. But whether you enjoy it or not depends on actually whether you go and eat it. Right? And, and here's the interesting thing about ice cream is that no one, unless you're lactose intolerant, in which case I apologize, but no, no one else, I don't think, ever eats ice cream and then thinks, oh, I've had enough. I don't ever need to eat ice cream again in this life. No, we eat ice cream and we enjoy it and then we go back the next week for more. It, it's why you'll find my family at down on the farm almost once a week over the summer and why I almost always see someone from Keystone when I'm there. Because the more we eat it, the more we enjoy it and the more we want to eat it. And here's the incredible thing about prayer. That the more we pray to see God glorify himself by helping us, not only do we receive help, but then we enjoy his glory. And the more that we enjoy his glory, the more that we pray for his glory. And the more that we pray for him to glorify his name, the more that we enjoy it until those things become our all-consuming, connected passions. God being glorified, his name being hallowed, and us enjoying it. Tim Keller has a great quote on prayer. He has a whole book on prayer, but this is one of them, where he says, prayer is the only entryway into genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our lives. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the un unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we most desire. It is simply the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in this life. We must learn to pray. We have to. Before I wrap up, I want to give just a couple of takeaways, four of them. And I would just plead with us, let's not just hear these takeaways and think, okay, yeah, there's a takeaway from the message. But think about one of these and think, I'm going to put this into practice this week. First of all, make worshiping the priority of your prayers this week. As you read scripture, look for the nuggets that speak of how great our God is, how great his works are and then stop and simply adore and praise him. Second, think through one thing in your life that you pray for a lot right now. Probably doesn't take you too long to come up with that or it wouldn't take you too long. Think about what do I pray a lot for right now? And then answer the question, how might God answering this prayer provide an opportunity for me to praise him both personally and publicly? And be specific. Like when God answers this prayer, Here's what I'm going to tell. Here's what I'm going to say. Here's who I'm going to tell. So that God's name might be hallowed because I received his help. Number three, join others in praying. Uh, it, it might, you might hear that and think, oh, that's just Kyle saying that because we've got prayer meetings at Keystone trying to get us out. That's not, that's not what I mean. I say that because part of how we grow in prayer is by praying with other people. We're discipled in prayer as we hear other people pray. And we disciple others in prayer as we pray alongside them. And so part of how we learn to pray for God's greatness is by praying alongside other people. In fact, if you look back over the Lord's Prayer, you'll see 
It's all in third person plural. Our, us, 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 not me, my, I. There is great power when we pray with other people. And Keystone has several times throughout the week, uh, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday morning at 8 o'clock on Zoom where you can join in, or Sunday morning at 8.30 in the prayer room. And, and I know that those times might be hard to make because of your schedule or because of young kids. Believe me, I feel that. Uh, and so it's just, if you can't make it to that, where, where's another area where you might pray with others, whether it's just your family or your small group or someone else, to pray together, to have others disciple you in prayer and you disciple others in prayer. And then fourthly, try using the Lord's Prayer as a launching point. That we don't just memorize it and quote it, but, but we say a line from it and then we jump off into uh, actually making that line personal. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you're so great and gracious and sovereign and you've been so good to me. There, there's a video, I, I put it on your notes again, you could search it, uh, from John Piper that I was going to show this morning, but I don't think we have enough time. And so it's a video that just kind of gives a sample of how we might use the Lord's Prayer as a launching point for our own prayers. I, I started off this morning by telling you about the time uh, I prayed for an Eagles game that they would win. What I didn't tell you is that three years before that, I could have cared less about the Eagles. We, we didn't grow up watching football in my house. We watched NASCAR and hockey. Dale Earnhardt and Eric Lindros. And, and I only started watching football when I was in fifth or sixth grade, probably because some of my friends were talking about it. But, but what I found is that as I watched football, I really enjoyed it. And as I enjoyed it, I started to watch it more to the point where missing an Eagles game beca became unthinkable for me because I, I found so much joy, probably too much, in being able to watch the Eagles. Something that at one point in my life brought me no joy became something that brought me lots of joy. Prayer, I think, is God's process where something that at one point in our lives maybe brought us no joy, his glory, slowly over time becomes our all-consuming passion. And so whether we are experts in prayer, which probably none of us are, or we're babies in prayer, which probably all of us feel like we are, let's pray like our joy depends on it. Father, we worship you this morning for the fact that even right now you hear us. That you, the all-powerful ruler of heaven and earth, who does all that he pleases, says, ask, seek, knock, come, bother me. I want to hear from you. And so we pray with both reverence and boldness. And God, we pray that you would help us to pray. We need even your help, your spirit to guide us and help us because we're so weak. So help us to pray. And God, as we pray, we ask that we would experience the joy of knowing you and experiencing the joy of seeing you glorify yourselves, glorify yourself by helping us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.